Hello and welcome to Dr. Usher Ways in shedding a light on healthcare expenses, obesity, what works in healthcare, uh, and why. Today we are going to continue our discussion from our last podcast about uh, the value of primary care. Why doesn't every employer in the United States offer healthcare the reform medicine way? And last time we talked about some of the woes uh, associated with our healthcare system and kind of how we got there. Um, today, and we also discussed, however, that these uh, problems have been addressed effectively by the for the free market, and uh, we have to think a, a little differently than what we've done in the past with traditional health insurance. Uh, but that we know uh, from large organizations who've been doing this, as well as uh, individual employers, uh, that there are some things that uh, really can be beneficial to help take back control of your healthcare spend, allow for really better business financial performance, uh, provide for a healthier family of employees, improve your recruitment and retention of those same valuable employees, and overall strategically position uh, your organization uh, or their organizations in a better place in the marketplace. So our next uh, task then is to talk about that a little bit. What is that? What are these solutions you're talking about, uh, Dave? What's, what the heck are you talking about? Um, basically, the key to this is uh, moving away from a traditional insurance model. That is to say, the fully insured model where somebody uh, writes a check to an insurance company and the insurance company uh, does all of the uh, work administering, uh, paying out and uh, putting together the health plan and the network and so forth. Uh, because they're, it's really, the evidence is really clear. We have probably close to 80 years of experience of this, but uh, recently uh, with since uh, the Affordable Care Act passed, it's become increasingly clear that the traditional insurance model never uh, results in a win for employers. Nobody ever comes back, no insurance company ever comes back to an employer and says, you know what, we're gonna drop your premiums this year. Never happens. Um, in fact, the opposite's probably true where uh, the insurance agent um, comes back with a 10% increase or 12% increase or a 5% increase. Uh, and they'll they'll tell the employer, that's the, I negotiated this for you and and this is the best we could do. Uh, sometimes I, we've had a conversation recently with somebody, uh, an employer whose health insurance premium increase for the upcoming year was gonna be 39%. That is to say, uh, instead of a dollar, they're gonna spend a dollar 39. Um, that's a huge increase, 40% increase in your second largest budget line item um, starting a month from now, basically. Uh, that's just unsustainable. And so uh, we've seen that in organization after organization. And so the way to move away from that is to start to think about how you ensure your health plan differently. So there's a couple different ways to do that. Uh, if you have not heard of these, they are basically uh, fully or partially uh, self-funded 
uh, options, or there's another one that's uh, kind of like this, that's a level funded health plan. Uh, I don't want to go into all the details of uh, those types of plans, though there's uh, lots that's been written about those and and um, and so on. But the but we there are organizations out there with lots of know-how around this. Self-funded health plans basically allow you the flexibility to build the plan the way you want it. There are some basic rules around um, Obamacare with uh, you can only have deductibles that are so big you can uh, you have to the plan has to pay for first dollar for preventive care and so forth but outside of a few uh, basic things a self-funded health plan has a lot of flexibility in design and how they uh, work to get the best value for those health care dollars and really hopefully come away with what we call a win-win or a win-win-win um, where where everybody comes out ahead as a result of that new plan design. The employer, the employee, uh, uh, the primary care doctor, the, uh, the uh, even the, what I would call the enlightened broker or advisor consultant who helps put these plans together and so on. Everybody comes out ahead because the plans do so well. So there's some national organizations that are out there uh, that I have direct experience with um, that I'll mention because uh, because I do have direct experience with them. One of which uh, is called Health Rosetta. I think I've talked about this in a in a different podcast. Health Rosetta is an open source uh, organization committed to really reshaping the uh, the face of healthcare and how healthcare um, impacts employers and families across the country and reduce the spend, get better value, better care, better outcomes. Um, and they're open, again, open source. So they're happy to share any information um, that they have. You can uh, go to Health Rosetta. They've got some uh, books out, a nice website and so forth. Uh, Dave Chase, who's one of the founders of Health Rosetta has a has a series of books out. That's, he has uh, probably three different books out now. Um, the most recent of which is basically uh, talks about it's it's a series of case reports, twenty five different case reports where employers of different sizes and different uh, markets um, have design their health plans and there's about five pages for each one describing how they did it and what they did and so forth it's really really uh, uh a wonderful resource um another organization uh, that's out there that's about 10 years old now is called the free market medical association this is not a medical association in the traditional sense of only doctors are members it's really a organization that uh, can be joined by just about anybody tends to have members from um, uh, doctors and, and uh, surgery groups and anesthesiology, and but a lot of third-party payers, uh, I'm sorry, third-party administrators, others who are into this uh, self-funded or uh, level-funded space uh, tend to congregate there, and they share a lot of knowledge as well. Uh, a third organization that we are a part of, which is not exactly um, quite the same, but but also uh, provides a lot of insight, is the National Association of Worksite Health Centers, or NAWAC. 
they call it. Um, uh, we just went to their national meeting a week or two ago and uh, very insightful. Uh, basically, their biggest thing is on-site clinics, uh, but they also near-site clinics when employers work with uh, direct primary care doctors, for example, it kind of functions like a nearsight clinic. There's there's some variation in those, but also but very insightful. Uh, there are state and local experts, uh, people who have been doing this for a while. Uh, there are authors even within our own state of Wisconsin. Uh, uh, Matt Ort is a uh, is an author. Uh, I wrote a book. Um, I like to call it "Don't Feed the Beast." I think the the title is actually longer, but uh, Matt Ort. Um, here in Wisconsin, and he's been, has spoken nationally as well, uh, trying to explain to employers in very plain, folksy, Iowa boy language how to, um, and I'm an Iowa boy, so I appreciate it when I hear it um, or read it, uh, how you can think differently about these things and really come up with win-win situations uh, for you as an employer as it relates to your health plan. So some of the basics about self-funded health plans that you need to think about. What's the, what, are, what are the components of this? Basically, um, you have to insure it or backstop it somehow. Uh, we call that stop-loss insurance. Uh, and there are companies out there who do just stop-loss insurance for health plans. Uh, they're not the, they tend not to be the big health insurers that you know of, blue, the blues and and Cigna and Aetna and so forth, or United, stop-loss insurance companies are different. Uh, some people use captives uh, for that, which is its own podcast, really, what a, what's a captive and how do they work. Um, you need a third-party administrator, and third-party administrator is the one who takes the bills from the doctor or the hospital and pays the bills out of the employer's uh, claims fund. Um, so if you put a pot of money together on your self-funded plan, you have to pay claims of that. The TPA, as we call them, third-party administrator, is the one who's got the infrastructure for taking those things, making sure the claims are appropriate, and uh, and paying them. TPAs are, are variable. Some of them have lots and lots of uh, different things that they offer and so forth. Most importantly, though, I think you want to get one that's independent. Uh, I would not advise using an insurance company uh, as a TPA because they are not invested in you, the employer winning as much as an independent TPA would be. Independent TPA wants you to win. Uh, insurance companies are not so heavily invested in that. They would, they, they don't, your winning isn't a win for them necessarily. Um, you have to have somebody who's going to manage pharmacy benefits. Um, the, you probably heard of PBMs or maybe you haven't, but pharmacy benefit managers, um, that's kind of a PBM is a four letter word is how I've said it, I've heard it said. And, um, PBMs have all kinds of, uh, issues, uh, with transparency and who's making money where, and, um, it's a little sketchy, uh, in the PBM world. And I think that's going to get better, uh, with some of the Trump administration's transparency, uh, laws that have been passed. All of this could get better due to that tra those transparency rules once they begin to enforce them. Uh, you got to have a network. Somehow you got to know if my patient needs something more than their primary care doctor, where are we going to send them? Uh, and those, again, highly variable. A good broker uh, or consultant can help you uh, put together 
uh, a plan for that. Um, what I think is very helpful, and I would call it necessary, really, is uh, care navigation. When the, it's that's the intermediary between uh, the patient or the primary care doctor or the patient and the primary care doctor, and that next level of care, for example, um, we know that the employer has a health plan and we want to help this patient get something within their health plan. How do we make sure that where we're sending them is in their plan? The care navigator is that layer of knowledgeable folks who knows uh, the best deal for the patient and helps them take advantage of the plan so that they can keep as much money in their pocket as possible while keeping as much money in the employer's uh, claims fund as possible. Uh, and again, they're they're paid obviously to do that. And so there's a win-win across the board when the care navigator is, is aligned with the uh, employer. And finally, last but not least, and probably first, uh, though I admit it's a little self-serving to say, but what we've heard over and over and over is the important, most important kind of the keystone to a self-funded plan is having primary care uh, that's aligned with you. Uh, I would say um, the way I explain it is you want to own your primary care. You don't want your primary care working for anybody else. You don't want your primary care through a big system because then they're working for the system. They're not working for you. Um, you want to have that your independent primary care and uh, you got to pay for primary care differently uh, so we call it direct primary care, direct contract to primary care. Um, and independence in any of these things, your stop loss, your TPA, your your pharmacy, network, care navigator, and so forth, uh, is really key because if they're not independent, they're not working for you, they're working for a broader organization, um, you're going to get less value under those circumstances. So let's let's take a step back and and look at what patients want, what they what they value, what do they want, right? Um, what's the whole purpose of all of this? Well, if we're trying to provide healthcare with our health plan, crazy idea, right? Not merely health insurance, but we really want to have healthy employees who have healthy families, and when health uh, gets compromised somehow they feel confident that they can get the care they need and uh, not get bankrupted by that. So from my years of experience as a physician, that the, the things that I think both physicians and patients want, but I think what patients really want is they want, uh, this is the way I would say it, they want to know and they want to be known. They want to trust and they want to be trusted. Um, what do you mean they want to know? Well, they want to be informed. They want to, they want somebody, a doctor who's going to give them the information and give it to them in a way that uh, they can understand, um, educate them about what this means for them. Uh, sometimes it's not the pain that they're experiencing. It's what does this pain mean for me uh, going forward? Am I going to die from whatever this is? Or is this just something I'm going to have to live with? Or can we fix it? Um all that information, that knowledge, the ability to know what's going on uh, is empowering um, and stress relieving, frankly, anxiety relieving. Um, but they also want to be known. That is to say, 
when patients come in, um, they want to be heard. They want to know that they've been heard. They want to know that they've been listened to. Um, and they also want to know that um, they've been understood, of course. And they want to know that they're valued as a as a partner uh, kind of in decision making. So they not only want to know things, they want to be known. They want their providers to know who they are and what what makes them tick because it's that it's that ability to understand the patient that helps the the doctor uh, craft a plan, craft a message that that will resonate and um, help the patient most uh, to get healthy or do well, right? So to know and be known, to trust and be trusted. Um, to trust is to feel confident, to be able to uh, be open uh, enough with a, with a physician and sometimes, oftentimes, uh, kind of vulnerable, right? I'm going to lay this stuff out here, doc, and, and you have to trust that that doctor is going to take that um, information either um, empathetically, with empathy, compassion, non-judgmentally, and so on. Um, you have to choose at some point, this is really what trust is, you choose to put your uh, faith in this person to help you heal or um, get better, right? Or to, to understand uh, what's going on. So, but they also want to be trusted. Patients want to be trusted. They want to know that their doctor will give them information and allow them, the patient, allow the patient, trust the patient to help make good medical decisions for themselves. Um, and to be able to put the patient, to be able to put their their values into the, the care equation, right? Um, uh, we had a lot of uh, this, these kind of conversations come up uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. There were people out there who uh, we're not going to take that new drug, but they would request ivermectin. And there are people who wanted that Paxlovid. And there are people who were, were getting their seventh booster and people who are never going to have a vaccine and so on. Um, and we have our, our thoughts and our science about what we what might or might not work. Uh, but in the end, you, you have to uh, kind of allow the patient to make their own call. Um and do that in a way that doesn't alienate them, right? Um, so they want to trust their doctor, but they also want to be trusted by their doctor to uh, make decisions for themselves and um, and know that there'll be a plan in case that decision doesn't turn out as well as they would like. So bottom line is healthcare, primary care medicine particularly is relational. If there's a relationship there. It's uh, think of a husband and wife, right? They don't start off most of the time um, meeting at their wedding. There's some relationship development that occurs uh, over years, um, months or years typically uh, before they decide to that this is a thing that works for them and they're going to commit to each other uh, for a lifetime. So it takes that takes time, right? There's no substitute for uh, taking time. Uh, with one another to kind of get to know and trust uh, the other. So um, healthcare and medical relationships 
are also based on time together, right? So you can't spend, um, if you can't spend time with your doctor, you can't get to know them, you can't get to trust them and vice versa. Um, but why, why has this been such a difficult thing um, in the in the current setting? Well, hospitals, insurance companies, uh, maybe health insurance brokers and so forth, they all basically traditionally have made more money, the more money that gets spent in healthcare, right? So, um, so as premium, whatever this year's charges or next year's premiums. So the more money gets spent this year out of the insurance company, the more they charge next year and that they keep a percentage of, of what they charge. So the only way that they can make more money is to have the premiums go up. So everybody's making more money, understandably, uh, in that system, the more that gets spent. So what's happened over time because of this, <clears throat> that type of incentive is that um, healthcare systems have acquired primary care practices. Um, and the, that primary care acquisition uh, and control really allows for, uh, I would call it churn or causes churn. Churn, what does that mean? Hamster wheel medicine. Um, churn them through, in and out, crank those numbers up. Why? Because that's how we make more money is we get paid the same amount of money whether we take 10 minutes or 20 minutes. So we may as well take 10. And what happens with churn is you see an increase in uh, testing, referrals, urgent care, emergency department visits, um, advanced imaging, surgeries, uh, physical therapy, referrals, and so forth. Uh, the reason is because doctors just are not allowed the amount of time they need to build that relationship with the patient. That seven-minute visit or 12-minute visit or even 15-minute visit doesn't allow for um, the trusting and uh, and the knowing, to know and be known, to trust and be trusted. So um, healthcare systems know the reason, one of the reasons that they have done this is healthcare systems know um, based on uh, studies that are now several years old, that for every new patient they acquire, if they can keep that patient uh, happy and in their system for a lifetime, uh, there's going to be over, I, I would guess it's probably now over a million dollars of revenue that will come from that patient uh, over their over their lifetime. So they want to bring patients into as many patients into the system as they can and keep as many as they can because they can uh, expect uh, that kind of uh, money stream. And therefore, they acquire primary care as a way of, of creating a referral base. So the problem with that is when you have very short periods of time with patients as a primary care doctor, not being able to know and trust each other as well. Um, it just creates a lot of I, what I would call defensive medicine, or you're doing things in a hurry uh, to make sure you don't miss something. Um, the analogy I would use is imagine what it would be like to try to date somebody on some sort of time schedule. Like every time you interacted with uh, 
a member of the opposite sex, for example, uh, for a, on a date, somebody was sitting there with a timer going click, you got 30 minutes, click, uh, how unnatural that would feel. And, um, you know, okay, now you can call her again in, in four weeks. Very hard. It would take a long, long, long time uh, to try to develop a relationship like that. So to get um, ownership, and a relationship takes and trust takes time. And so if you're going to have primary care that works for people, you have to think differently about where you get your primary care and how you're doing it. Um, in particular, how you're paying for it. In the big systems, primary care is a loss leader, right? They'll give that they'll give that away for cheap um, because they know if they can get you through the door in primary care, referrals out will make them uh, big money, right? And by the way, healthcare systems own insurance companies and and all of that gets a little muddy. So um, and they so primary care being relatively cheap. Uh, primary care providers <clears throat> uh, are not paid as well as a lot of specialty providers. And what happens with that is you, your primary care uh, supply, particularly primary care physicians, uh, is chronically in shortage. There's just never enough of them, right? So uh, they're hard to get into uh, because the, and it has gotten worse over time because primary care practice is so difficult with short periods of time like that. It's uh, not a very satisfying way to practice medicine. The burnout rates are high and so forth. So uh, primary care basically is serving as a funnel for referrals. Uh, and frankly, it kind of becomes a dumping ground for specialists when the, they're not able to find a source of their problems. They send them back to primary care. Now, now they've got this chronic issue that isn't simple. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time. But the, the patient comes back to the primary care provider who is the last person in the system to have enough time to try to deal with this. So uh, that occurs as well. To get around this problem, ultimately what you have to do is buy your primary care differently. That's where a new newer concept called direct primary care uh, comes in with employers. Uh, with reform medicine model, we do uh, the what we call employer-sponsored direct primary care, which is basically a membership model. Uh, and by being paid a membership fee, just like your cell phone, uh, patients can get um, longer appointment times, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, uh, or more. The provider decides they, they need it. Uh, they get all the access they want. They can come in as often as they need to. Um, they can come in frequently if they need to. They can come in and know that they're not going to have to spend 200 bucks every time they walk through the door because all of that is mostly covered. Um, some employers have HSA plans. That's the little exception. And they need to call pay what they call a fair market value fee of some sort. Um, but bottom line is, compared to the office visit uh, in the big system, that be um, if they have to pay one. A lot of employers have $0 office visits. Um, but if they pay it, it's $5 or $20 or $30. It's not uh, horribly expensive. And not something they would consider to be a barrier because that's the only money they're going to spend on that visit. And they know that. So 
the appointment durations are, as I mentioned, can be longer. You can bring people in over and over. You can uh, easily treat them by uh, phone or or uh, FaceTime or e-visit or whatever you call that with a, a video visit. And, and because of that membership revenue stream, um, primary care people can venture off and do a little bit more and um, offer a broader array of services. Uh, because they know they have a revenue stream that will support the ability to do those things rather than just having to see patients at a breakneck speed. What happens with that over time, because patients can get in when they need to and, and spend as much time as they want, is they develop a level of trust that's very hard to get in the big system primary care offices. Now, the problem for the big systems is if you've got good, strong primary care relationships, um, with trust and understanding, and uh, if your primary care is primary care doctor is interested in helping you save money and be well, um, that reduces the amount of money that gets spent in the big healthcare system, and that is not intuitively for the healthcare system uh, a good thing. So you could almost say that there's a conflict of interest that a big system would own primary care. I've said that for years. Um, but we have to understand that primary care is an investment. Um, you would see if you, you pay for primary care differently, uh, insurance companies, uh, won't pay these membership fees. Um, that's not the direction they want to go. And, and, um, so you have to look at primary care a little bit differently. If you're a self-funded employer, primary care is an investment for you. It provides a return on investment or an ROI, it provides a lot of value or VOI, value of investment, um, but it will provide a return on investment. Some employers, believe it or not, half employers with self-funded plans don't measure the return on investment from their primary care, or even you know, like their nearsight or on-site clinic. Why? Because um, number one, they just knew it was a good idea and did it and didn't think about it. But number two, it just provides such an obvious benefit to their people. They it just hasn't been a thing they've done. But the other half of the of the marketplace has figured out that their return on investment can be um, at least one to one, very often two to one or three to one. I've seen um, numbers as staggeringly high as nine to one, where when people uh, invest in primary care, they see uh, a nine to nine x benefit. Right? They save nine times the money that they put into their primary care because they bought their primary care differently. So, <clears throat> so that's what a, a nearsight clinic or direct primary care or on-site clinic type of relationship can do for self-funded employers. But you, what you need to know about those clinics and those organizations uh, as good partners, they really should um, uh, step forward in a number of ways. And there, our, our approach is uh, at Reform Medicine is to Step, step up and help the employer actually sell that concept to the employees. Because in this region, particularly, um, self-funding and having an on-site and near-site clinic is just not a thing that people are used to. They're used to having insurance and they go do whatever they do. And you're going to tweak that and change that. People are very suspicious of change. They resist change just naturally. So uh, we will step up and help them to, I hate the word sell, but that's basically what it is, 
sell an idea uh, to their people. We'll go to um, open enrollment meetings, for example, or we'll uh, do presentations to uh, staff and so forth to help them understand what it is that that's going to be different and what we what we know to be so much better than the traditional kind of model. Um, a good employer partner, a part good part DPC partner or nearsight clinic partner should know your the employer's plan inside and out. They should support it. Everything about what they do, they should try to navigate that patient for you and for the benefit of the patient as well. Um, your, your primary care partner should provide utilization data, should tell you what they're doing and how the numbers look and how's this plan going. The more people that come through the door, the more savings the plan gets, um, the more trust that gets built, um, the more people are winning. Um, you should be a direct primary care or a nearsight clinic partner should be willing to meet with your insurance team, whatever your health plan team is, whoever you see as your team, they should be able to sit down, be willing to sit down and understand what it is you're doing and understand your goals for your plan. Um, obviously they should be available to discuss changes. If you decide you want to change the plan somehow, um, uh, or different ideas and just use you as a sounding board. Um, they we your nearsight clinic person should value your plan's performance as much as you do, right? Um, they should know they should look at you as an employer and have those same kind of values. We want to be known, we want to know and be known, we want to trust and be trusted. So, as the employer, we want you'd want that relationship with your nearsight clinic provider as well. So. The keys to our, our success at Reform Medicine has been all these things, that, that list of things that a good partner should be, uh, and more. Our medical weight loss program uh, really accelerates uh, the, um, the utilization, the, the uptake by patients, because there's a lot of patients who are just jump in with both feet as soon as the plan goes live. And um, so they'll they'll kind of sell that program for you as well. Uh, and then, and so you see faster utilization, faster health improvement, really as our medical weight loss program, if it was a video game, I think we would call it a power up. My kids would call it, you get that power up. So um, our outcomes data, our utilization data kind of proves that, that, that this whole approach we're taking uh, is working well. So that is, uh, to sum it all up, the problem has been solved. It involves thinking about buying your health insurance and you're structuring your health plan differently. Some, some amount of either self-funding or level funding uh, where you benefit by a good plan design by lower costs um, or at least uh, smaller increases. And the structure for that is well known. Organizations out there nationally, um, easy to access, open sources, uh, there's more and more uh, advisors, consultants, brokers getting into this space. Key is, from my perspective, is having independence in those uh, team members. Make sure that they're all wearing your jersey and not somebody else's jersey when they're part of your team. And um, and then really uh, the keystone uh, to a good plan is going to be primary care that's working for you and not working for a system because they need to they need to have your uh, back completely and uh, not be kind of 
misaligned or incented to do things that don't benefit your plan directly uh, to get the best outcomes. Primary care isn't necessarily cheap, but it is an investment that will get you lots of return uh, if you if you partner with the right folks. And um, so I would encourage anybody out there who's struggling with their health plan to, to dig into this. It can be done. Uh, of course, Reform Medicine is always there to help uh, if, if that makes sense. I'd like to thank you for sharing, uh, spending some of your valuable time uh, to listen in today. Uh, Dr. Usher weighs in, and I hope that uh, you'll join us for future podcasts.